Aren't you thankful for victories? I am so thankful that we serve a God who is victorious. He is a God who's undefeated. Isaiah 40 says, I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. That means he's already claimed victory. And if he's claimed victory, then so can I. Amen. And I believe it. I trust him for victory today, and I hope you have too. And uh, he is here. He is here. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm so thankful you're here today as well. Uh, God is so faithful to meet us when we seek him out. And I don't know about you, uh, we haven't even started the fast yet, but God is doing something in the lives of our people here that is so amazing that I can't wait to see what he does, even in the midst of us being focused and intentional during this season of prayer and fasting. And so I want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be concluding uh, the series today on prayer and fasting. What does this really mean? And uh, this is part three of this series. And so the fast will begin next Sunday. And we will talk a little bit about that today as we go along uh, in the service this morning. But uh, Hebrews chapter 11, get your outlines out if you want to follow along and take some notes there. And we'll be to Hebrews in just a minute. But I also want you to put a, put a finger in Hebrews and then I want you to go back over to Exodus as well. And we're going to be in Exodus chapters 3 and 4 a little bit as well, talking about the life of Moses. So um, the new year's begun. We have started a new year, and I, I find it hard to believe that this is the last Sunday in January already. Anybody realize that this week and just, ugh. Does anybody know how many days till Christmas? <laughs> Okay, moving right along. <laughs> Christmas year-round, that's true, that's true, yeah. So I don't know about you, uh, I've set some goals for myself this year, and I'm sure you've set some goals, and, and we've talked about a little bit of that as a church, uh, and next month, and how we're going to unite together. One of the things when we, when we bring together our goals, and we do this as a community of believers I believe it's important that we realize that if we all will come in and we will do this and we will commit to this, that this will be, as we said last week, this will be the greatest year spiritually if we put God first in everything that we do. And I really believe that and I'm trusting for that. But if you haven't been with us through this series, that's okay. Let me give you a brief recap of what we've been, what we, how this has all started and what, what is coming of this. There's, there's a passage of scripture when Jesus is talking to his disciples and the, his followers, his people that believe in him and trust him and are walking with him. There's a situation that's happened. A, a man has brought a, a, his boy to Jesus to cast out a, a demon, an evil spirit. And he says, and he calls out Jesus' disciples, and he says to Jesus, he says, I went to your disciples, but they couldn't cast this one out. Can you heal my boy? And Jesus says to his believers, to his disciples, he says to them, you unbelieving and perverse generation. You unbelieving and perverse generation. He basically publicly reprimands his disciples. Unbelieving and perverse generation. The disciples, they go back to Jesus in private because they're ashamed of what has just happened. We talked about that a couple weeks ago when you're called out for something you've done wrong and you've done it, called out in public even. There's a shame that goes with that. It's, it's kind of like a, a dog walking be, with its tail between its legs, so to speak. And so the disciples come back to Jesus and they say, Jesus, why couldn't we do this? What are, what are we missing here? And he says to them something very important. He says, this one could only come out through prayer and fasting. 
through prayer and fasting. And so we broke those things down, and, and basically, what does it mean to be unbelieving and perverse? It means that we are, unbelieving means we are not connected to God. Perverse means that we are too connected to the things of this world. We are not connected enough to God, and we're too connected to the things of this world. And he says the only way to overcome that is through prayer and fasting. Well, what simply is prayer and fasting? Simply put, prayer is connecting to God, and fasting is disconnecting from the things of this world. It's, it's very simply put, those things that we need to do to, in order to put God first in our life so that he can speak into our lives and we can begin to live the most powerful the most purposeful life that God has for us to live. Amen? How many of you want God to do something new for you in 2020? Would you just raise your hand? Amen. Amen. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one because I believe God's been working through us and I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if you believe that God wants to do something new for you in 2020, then I'm going to ask you this question. Again, don't raise your hand. But are you willing to commit to putting him first in your life? Because if you are, I would guarantee you, just like I did last week, I'll guarantee you that this year will be the greatest year spiritually for you if you put him first and seek his kingdom first. And then everything else that we want or desire, or not that we want or desire, that's not what the scripture says. Everything else that we need, everything else that we think we want and have will be given to us when we seek him first. His priorities first. Amen? And so we want to seek him first. We want to do that through a time of prayer and fasting. And the first of the year is one of those times where we, where we start some of these things. And we, we begin to set goals and, and have resolutions. And we begin to try to reprioritize our life for the new year and the coming days. But there's times in our life when we tend to do that. And, and at least for me, I, I get this way. And so I assume if it's for me, then probably some of you are in the same boat. I don't know about you, what are some of the hardest things for you to start? What are the hardest things for you to start? Just think about that for a minute. If you were to start something new, something fresh, something exciting, but there's times when we want to start something new that it just is difficult to get started. I was reading about people that were starting their new years and their goals and resolutions, and here's some of the replies, and I thought they were good, so I've included a couple in your notes. You can jot these down. Uh, the first one that I read here that I thought was pretty good, it says, I can't believe it's been a year since I didn't become a better person. <laughs> kind of had a, a false hope maybe or too high of expectations, I don't know. Here's another one that uh, I thought a lot of us can relate to. Uh, I'm going to work out every day or at least briefly consider it, Okay. That's a little bit more realistic. You know, I can, I can consider working out every single day. This one's good. It's not in your notes, but I thought this was good. My resolution for 2020 is to accomplish the goals that I had for 2019, which should have been done in 2018 because I promised to do them in 2017. Yeah. Uh, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I'm sure there's many of us that have some of those goals that are still on that to-do list, you know. Uh, what a concept, what an idea. Sometimes it's hard to start something new. And, and there was a famous tennis player, his name was, was Arthur Ashe, and he, was, he said this quote that I thought was very good of, and it's very good for those of us that struggle to start something new. He said, many of us fear making resolutions or goals because we fear we will fail and not finish. We fear we will fail and not finish. 
You know, the reality for us today is that many of us probably have that same mentality when it comes to starting something new. And so I've kind of tweaked Arthur's, Arthur Ashe's statement here for us today, and it's in your notes, and this will be kind of the, the theme for today. You will never finish something you don't start. You will never finish something you don't start. So my hope for us today as we get ready to enter this season of, of focused time of prayer and fasting is that we can get started. Amen? Let's start something so that we can finish it. Let's put something out there so that we can get going and actually do something. I, I've, I've said to the board and to the staff over the last couple of weeks and months that I've said, you know, 2020 is going to be a watermark year for our church, but we've actually got to start doing some of the things that we've talked about. Because if we don't do them, if we don't start them for fear of failure or fear that we won't finish it or fear that we won't follow through, then 2020, we're going to look back on 2020 and say, man, we really blew it. We really blew it because we're, we're looking at 2021 and we're looking back at 2020 saying nothing's different. We didn't even try anything. And I say, God, help us. God, help us today, this very moment to get started to get started. And so we're about to embark on this 21-day journey as a church today, and, and, and I believe as individuals. And, and I say this kind of uh, from both sides as individuals and as a church because the church is people. You are the church. You realize that, right? And so when we call the church to a 21-day fast, that includes you. That includes all of us. And as God speaks to us as individuals, it's only going to encourage each other. It's only going to help all of us as a body. And so that's why I'm looking forward to it. If I can fast forward for us for just a minute, and we're going to talk about this in a minute as well, to February 26th. February 26th is a Wednesday night. If you don't have this marked on your calendars, I want you to do that. Mark this on your calendar. If you don't have your calendar, write it down in your outline. Remember this date, February 26th. Because on February 26th, that's a Wednesday night, we're going to gather together as a whole church right here in this room. And we are going to have a night of praise and worship and testimonies and talking about what God has done in this 21-day journey. And I'm really excited because we're going to start this, and on February 26th, we're going to come together and we're going to see what God has done in our lives in this time. Amen? Some of you didn't mark it down. Mark it down. February 26th, you're going to be here and you're going to trust God for some great things in 2020 for our church. You know, I've heard it said that when we, when we start something big or we start something new and exciting, and I just gave you the finishing point of this 21-day journey, sometimes it's, it's been said that we need to see the end game before we can take the first step. And, and I always thought, you know, that's a really great idea. I need to know what the big picture is so that I can take the steps that I need to get there. And so this never became more clear for me personally in my own life than it, than it was with my call to ministry and my call uh, to how to fulfill that call in ministry. At the age of 13, I, was, I felt called to full-time ministry, and I didn't know exactly what that meant, what area that meant, or what God wanted to do in me. I was 13 years old, and so I just was saying, yes, God, to whatever you want, I'll do it. And uh, God called me to preach and to teach. And that was the call that he placed on my life. It's still the call that's very evident, very clear in my life today. And I'm thankful for that. But at 13, that call to preach and to teach meant something different than it does for me today. And as I was going through and really trying to figure things out, I wanted to be in full-time ministry at the age of 14. I was that ready to go. 
And yet I knew there was a preparation time. There was things that I had to do to get there. And I started to, to think and have the approach that I want to get there as fast as I can. And I want to do this quickly. And I, I know my end game is to preach and to teach. And so I want to do anything I can to get there now. And so I started going to school through a program that was not going to give me a degree. It was just going to get me the classes I needed to, to be able to be um, ordained and licensed in the Church of the Nazarene. And I was excited about it. I entered it uh, with a lot of passion and ready to go. And then about halfway through that time, God kind of got a hold of my life again. And he said, you know what? That's not the end game for you. And I just was like, whoa. And I was like, God told me, I want you to change your education focus because I called you back there to preach and to teach. And I need you to have some more things done before you can do both of those. And so I switched my track and my education track and I went to a degree seeking track. And I got my degree, but I knew that through prayer and discernment and through seeking out God's will that he wanted me to continue my education and to continue to, continue to get another degree so I could teach at the higher levels and to continue to help other people coming up through the process to help them and teach them. And so I knew I needed more education and I needed to continue the dream, but as I started to go down that process, I thought, you know what, God, what's the end game? What school do you want me to teach at? What, what classes do you want me to teach? How do I need to get there? And what do I need to do to have those things that will prepare me for this? And I just couldn't figure it out. So I'd explore one way and I'd think, okay, God wants me to teach. I'll go the education track and I'll think about that. And that didn't seem to work out. The schools didn't seem right. Then I thought, well, I'll go the, the religion track and the church track. And so I tried that way and explored that and it just didn't seem to work out. And finally, I kid you not, this was about three weeks ago. I'm serious. Three weeks ago, I'm in my office praying in my devotional time and I, and I just... Uh, spent the, the morning with God. It was a really good time. And then I started getting in my day and I ended up calling one of my friends that I worked with at Oklahoma Wesleyan University. And it was a professor who's kind of on the same track and the same journey. He's about three steps ahead of me, but he's, he's going through it. And so we were talking and we, were, we talked for over an hour. And I got off the phone and one of the things that he said to me was, BJ, you got to know the end game before you can take the first step. And I said, Christian, what is my end game? I don't know what my end game is. And he goes, I've listened to you for an hour. I think you do know what your end game is. You just need to trust the Lord. <laughs> I got off the phone because what I want to do is I want to get a degree that's a church degree, a religion degree, and an education degree so I can kind of play in both worlds a little bit. And I didn't know how that would work out. And I got off the phone and I checked my email. And I get an email from Olivet Nazarene University that they have a Master's of Arts in Christian Leadership. And then to go along with that, they have a doctorate of education in leadership. And I looked, went home that day to my wife. I said, Alicia, I know where God wants me to go to school. She goes, what do you mean? You've been wrestling for this for years. I said, I know. I'm going to go to Olivet. And I'm going to get both of these degrees. And God is going to open the door for me because I've been faithful and trusting him. And I just got to start it. So guess what? I still got to apply. I got to start it. I got to take that first step. But God's showing me some things. And, and sometimes we want to know the finish before we even take the first step. And at times, I think God wants to say to us, you know what? You just got to get started. You just got to get started. Let's look at God's word because there's something else that was said about somebody who just needed to get started that I think we can learn from today. Hebrews chapter 11 
I want to begin reading with verse number 24. You follow along on the screen as I read. Hebrews 11, 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. So I want us to to unpack this for just a moment. You have to realize something about Moses' life. The book of Hebrews is written in such a way that this chapter in church circles is called the chapter or the heroes of faith. And faith, as we've talked about, is, is that uh, that we, we trust or we believe in something that we cannot see. And I've taken a step further and I say, we believe and then we got to trust in it. we got to do something about it. And so Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews writes this chapter about all of these men and women of faith who did great things for God. And this is the end of their life, so to speak. This would be if, the equivalence of what's been put on their tombstone. And this is God speaking these words about these men and women. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, we see God's word through the author of Hebrews talking about Moses' life. That this is what he did, and this is the great faith that he had. But I want you to know something and keep this in mind. This was the end of Moses' life. This was the end of his journey. This was not where Moses began. So if we were to look at Moses' life, let's see where it began. You see, he was born in an... In, in Egypt as a Hebrew boy. And he was born in a time where the, where, where the Egyptians were, were ruling and reigning over the Israelites. And so the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians. So, so Moses' family, they were in bondage and slavery to Pharaoh and to the, the, the leadership of Egypt. And so Pharaoh was getting concerned that the Israelites were getting too, too great of, uh, in number that they were going to overthrow his power. And so he got concerned, and so he created this law that all Hebrew boys, was it two years and younger, needed to be killed. Population control. He's trying to do something that is not right to make sure he stays in power. Well, Moses' mother realizes, you know what, I don't want my boy to die And so she's a step ahead of Pharaoh, and so she builds this little basket. If you've been in church long enough, you've heard the story. She builds this little basket. She places baby Moses in the basket, puts baby Moses in the river, sends it down the river, and lo and behold, out of all circumstances and all happenstance, just a coincidence, Moses ends up at the palace. It's not a coincidence. And Pharaoh's daughter draws this basket out of the river, opens it up, and here's this baby boy. And all along, as you know, the whole story goes, and she picks it up, and she gives it to her servant and says, find the mother, let's, let's feed the baby, let's wean the baby, and then I'll raise it in the palace as my own. And Moses is raised in the palace in Egypt as an Egyptian. He's raised in, in understanding their culture and their society. He's raised as an insider, even though he's an outsider. And he's raised in the palace. I didn't realize this until this week, Pastor Greg, I was, as I was studying this. I didn't realize the timing of this. Before all of the things changed in Moses' life, he was raised there for 40 years. That number's important. And we won't talk about that. That's a whole other message. But after 40 years, Moses goes out. He's given some, some kind of leeway. He's, he's, the, 
he's the prince of Egypt, as the movie talks about. And he goes out, and he's, he's walking around, and he hears this tussle between an Egyptian and a Hebrew, and he goes over, and he pulls the Egyptian off of the Hebrew, and he ends up killing him, and he buries him in the sand. And then the next day, he thinks that he's hidden it from everybody who knows, and he's out there doing the same thing. And then he sees two Hebrew boys, two Hebrew men fighting, two of his own people fighting. And he says, why are you fighting brother against brother? And one of them looks at him and says, Moses, what are you going to do? Kill us like you did the Egyptian? And right away, Moses gets scared. And he realizes that what he's done has been seen. And he leaves. He flees Egypt. And he goes back to where he grew up or where he was raised, he goes back to his home area and he begins to, to, to shepherd and wander for, you guessed it, 40 years. And as he's doing this in that 40-year time, as he's, as he's wandering, he's a shepherd. He's, he's tending sheep. He's, he's one of the lowest on the social class. So he goes from prince of Egypt to the lowest on the totem pole. And he's out there herding these sheep. And in, in this 40-year span, all of a sudden, he's out there doing his job. He's got his staff there. He's got all of his flock. And all of a sudden, he looks over and he sees this bush that's on fire. And this bush is on fire, and it's, and it's a flame that is, is burning, but the bush is not burning up. And so it catches his attention, and he goes over, and as you know the story, he goes over and has his burning bush experience with God speaking to him and saying to Moses, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to go back to Egypt, where you came from, and I want you to go to Pharaoh of all the people, and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let your people go, all of them. And Moses is scared. And this is where Moses has to decide. It's time to get started. It's time to get started. So let's take a look really quickly at at what Moses did to get started. Number one, we need to do what Moses did. We need to start where you are. Start where you are. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11 and 12 says this, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, get this, say this with me, I will be with you. Say it again. I will be with you. That's a pretty clear statement. When God says to Moses, I will be with you. Let me tell you a brief story. I was was in middle school, eighth grade. I was playing basketball. And I was playing in a place where uh, gang violence was very high. I played sports on the school teams with with known gang members. And their gangs would show up at our our games and they would cheer on their friends, their brothers, whom, however that worked. I wasn't in a gang, but I had friends that were. And it was just kind of a common place for us there in Pueblo. And, and so it was kind of a rough area. And so we were playing this game. And after one of these games, two rival gangs showed up at this game. And we were, we were coming out of the gym. And it just so happened that, that my, my brother and sister and I, we were actually staying with our associate pastor and his family because my parents had gone to this conference and so they were there at the game. Well, they had two nephews that they were raising. And they were older than me. They were probably juniors or seniors in high school at the time. But one of these guys, named, they were named Brian and Brad, were these two guys' names. And they were at the game with us. And they were kind of troublemakers, if you will. But they made sure they were prepared for the trouble. And so they worked out all the time. They were huge, muscles everywhere. It, we actually called Brian He-Man. Because he just walked around, he had this long mullet, and he was just, just ripped to shreds with muscles. Nobody messed with him, you know, he was, he was He-Man. 
And so we're at this game, and the game's over, and these gangs are about to fight. And we walk out the door, and I'm walking out there, this, this little scrawny eighth grader who doesn't belong to either side. And here come Brad and Brian to make sure I'm safe. And they escorted me out of the gym, took me over to the car, put me in the car. Then they went back to handle the business. I felt pretty good about myself. I had a personal escort from He-Man. He said, you know what, BJ, you don't need to worry. I'm with you. And I got in that car. I wasn't worried about anything. And I was so thankful. And I thought, you know what? If Brian could say to me as a little eighth grade boy, man, I'm with you. I got this. You're okay. When God says it to us, do we act with the same confidence? He says to Moses, Moses, I don't care what you've run from. I don't care what you've done. I want you to go back and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. You see, it doesn't matter where you are. When you know who you're with. It doesn't matter where you are when you know who you're with. You can be in the middle of of the biggest battle of your life, but if you know God's with you, it should change your perspective. You see, I know that I've put the big picture in front of us as a church. And I'm claiming 2020 for a great year for our church because I believe it's time we start where we are. And we begin to move forward because God is with us. And I know, however, that I've put the big picture in front of you, but for some of you, your understanding of it, not knowing all the things that are going on, it has become a big problem for you. Because you think, you know what, I don't see the big picture yet. I don't even know where to start, and I don't know how to start, and I don't know what to do, but I I want you to know something today. You may not know what all is out there in the next 21 days or so, but I'm here to tell you today, God is with us. God is with us, and I believe God wants to go with us through this journey together so he can show himself in ways we've never seen him. You may be sitting there thinking, you know what, I'm, I don't really get this whole church thing. I don't understand this prayer and fasting thing, and I'm just not, I'm not a good enough Christian to do this. I'm really unworthy to do this, and I want you to know today that God is with you. There is nobody in here that is unworthy to not follow along with what God wants to do in your life. Well, pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the the struggles that I'm facing, the problems that I have. I may not, but I know that God's with us. I know that God's got you. We got to trust him. He says, you know what? You got to start where you are because I am with you. I am with you. Number two, for Moses and for us today, we got to get started by using what we have. Using what we have. Exodus chapter 4 Verse 1 and 2, the conversation continues. Moses answered the Lord, What if they do not believe me or listen to me? And they say, The Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? A staff, he replied. Why would Moses have a staff? Well, I'm glad you asked. Moses had a staff because that's what shepherds carried. If you read more about shepherds, they had these staves, and we, we see pictures of them nowadays, and we see what they did. They had a big old hook on them, and they were long, and usually they were very heavy, and they were heavy because they would use them to, 
to kind of hit the sheep back in line. They would also use them to use the hook to, to keep them close or to get them out of things where they'd get into trouble. And so the shepherd carried the staff because it was a daily tool that he used no matter where he was at or what he was doing. It was just a simple piece of wood that he used to do his job. What do you have that is your staff? Simple, ordinary, something that doesn't seem real flashy or great, but it's what you have. Maybe you feel that in your own life you don't have anything major to pray for or to give up in this time of fasting. You're just an ordinary person who's going through life. You just kind of get up and you do the same thing over and over and it's not a big deal. You don't really hurt anybody. Nobody hurts you. You just kind of walk the straight line and it's all right. Well, guess what? God can use your staff. God can take your ordinary and your normal and he can show you something that is extraordinary if you trust him to get started. Well, pastor, I don't have this, this fancy new Bible, or I don't have this, this new devotional that's going to help me. 21 days is a long time. I've never done this before. How am I going to do this when I don't have all of these things? Guess what? If you brought your Bible, would you just hold it up? If you brought your Bible on your phone, would you hold it up? Some of you... <laughs> Have it on your phones? Yes, amen. I don't want to leave anybody out. If you brought it on your tablet or if you have a scroll, would you hold it up? I don't care what you have. Just hold it up. If you've got a form of God's word, you've got something. You've got a staff. And it's something that you can use. You don't have to go out and buy a new Bible or buy a new devotional. Guess what? The words in here are still true today, just like they were when they were written. Some of you didn't get that. You don't, have to, you don't have to read something new. You don't have to have this new, fancy, this new fancy way of doing things and meeting with God. He says, if you get in my word and you pray, you're going to connect with me, and that's going to cause you to disconnect from other things. Use what you have. You know, we need to realize today, if we're going to get started, we need to realize that God is with us, that he wants to use what we have. And what you have is exactly what God will use. What you have is exactly what he will use. You might even be saying, you know what, Pastor, I don't really know what to give up. I don't know what to fast. I don't know what to disconnect from. I don't have anything major that takes, takes all my time. I don't have anything major that really causes me to, to second-guess my relationship with God. And I say, you know what, I don't, I don't, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad that you're at that place in your life. But just take something that you know that you do have. Maybe it's something small. Maybe it's something little, something that you might even think that, is, that it doesn't even matter. But take it and let God use it. When you say, God, I don't, I don't know about this. I, I guess I do kind of drink more Diet Coke than I really should. Then maybe I can give up my Diet Coke for this time. And if that's the case, and that's what you're going to do and give up the Diet Coke, then well, good for you. But I want to encourage you, when you give up that Diet Coke, when you choose something else, would you just say a prayer of thanks? Because God says, you know what? I'm with you when you give up that sacrifice. No matter how small, maybe you're going to fast food for 21 days. Maybe you're going to go all in in this. And you're going you're to have a full-on 21-day fast that you're giving up all food and putting it into your mouth. I guarantee you if you do that, that God will use what you have. 
He will use it to speak to you. He will use it to change your life. He will use it to connect with you in ways you've never seen him connect with you before. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter how big it is, how small it may be or may seem. God will use exactly what you have because he's with us. And he just wants us to get started. We don't need the excuses. I don't have a fancy staff. I don't have a good working pen. I don't have a great journal. I don't have all this stuff. You don't need it. Use what you have. Use what you have because don't let it be an excuse not to get started. So we need to start where we are. We need to use what we have. And finally, we need to do what you can. Do what you can. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 says this. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant. Let me pause there for a minute. Do you realize that Moses is just making excuses? If you read this story all the way through, there's excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. And I know nobody in here has ever made excuses to God. Okay, I know you haven't. Um, But if you're like me and maybe you have, Listen to what God says. Listen to what he's saying here. Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Say this with me. Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. This is free, and and I I won't spend a lot of time here, but one of the things when God called me at 13 to to preach and to teach, I had a friend of mine. I called him my best friend at the time. We'd go to school every day together. We had a lot of classes together. He would tell me, I went to one of his youth group events with him, and we went to a Rockies game in Denver. From Pueblo to Denver is about a two-hour drive. Then you had about a a two-and-a-half-hour drive game time and then another two-hour drive home. So there's about six and a half, seven hours in that trip. I could probably tell you I said about five words in the six and a half hours that I was on that trip. And some of my friends' friends in youth group started saying, man, Ethan, what's wrong with your friend? He doesn't talk. And I remember being 13, kneeling in an altar and saying, God, I don't talk. I don't say much. I'm quiet People don't even know if I can talk. And you're telling me I'm going to go preach and to teach? And now you guys are saying, yeah, you go along every single Sunday. (laughs) God said to Moses, who is it that makes people the way they are? I'm the one that created you. I'm the one that's allowed you to be in this place that you are. Now I'm telling you, now go, Moses. Go, get started, do something, now go. How many of you in here have kids? Here's a, here's a good story for you. It's, it's changing, I'll share that with you. How many of you have told a child to go to bed and then you hear words you've never heard them say before in their life? You know what I'm talking about? And they start talking faster than they've talked in years. All right, little Johnny, little Sally, whatever your name is, you just need to go to bed now, and you try to be nice about it. 
Well, Daddy, I, I'm, ti- I'm not tired. I, I just want to stay up. One more story. I need to drink. I, I need to go to the bathroom. I, I need to brush my teeth. My jammies are itchy. I can't really get, get to bed and get to sleep. I don't know what to do. I don't really want And you're just fine. You're like, now go. Anybody ever done that? Just, okay, two of us. Okay, good. Maybe, maybe you're like us now in our house. Our kids are a little bit older now. And uh, this happened just the other night. You said, okay. Go to bed. Deathly quiet. Nobody moves. I look at Alicia and I said, didn't you just tell them to do something? That's how I said it too. Deathly quiet. I said, you were just given an order, now go. Hear the word of the Lord. Go to bed. I don't know where you're at in the journey with with your walk with God. And maybe you've never had God tell you, you know what, I need you to go do something. And maybe this is that first step for you. Maybe this journey is something that you're uncertain of. You don't really know what's going to happen or how to do it or or the different things that, that could happen. And all God is really saying to us today, together, all of us is saying, go. Go, go, just go. I will help you. I'm with you. You don't need something fancy. Use what you have and do what you can do. Just go. Just go and get started. Just go and take the first step. Just go and be obedient. And you might be sitting back there saying, okay, I can take the first step. The first step's easy. It starts next Sunday, and I get to come to church, and that's the first step in the fast, and I get to focus on God that day, and it's, it's an act of worship, and I can do step one, but God, it's step 28 down there that I got a problem with. And because I don't really know how I'm going to deal with step 28 down there, I think I'll just stay here. And God says, go. You be you and let God be God. You do what you can do and let God take care of the rest. You let God teach you as you take step one to fill in step two. You let God teach you as you take step two that he may show you step 28, he may not. But as you take step two, he says, thank you for being obedient. I'm still with you. Guess what? Go. I'm still here. I'm still with you. You still got what you need. You be you and let God be God. You see, all we got to do is take the next step. We don't need to worry about step 28. You do what you can do today. You might be entering this time of prayer and fasting saying, God, I need, I need help in my marriage. I need help in my family. And you may ask me, Pastor, can I heal my marriage in one day just by committing to this? Probably not. But you can't apologize for what you did in that journey. You can take the first step in reconciliation. You can't take the first step and, and say, I'm sorry, I messed up. I'm sorry, would you forgive me? I'm not perfect. I'm willing to work at it. Would you help me? Maybe, maybe you just need to take the first step. 
Maybe what, what you're praying for is, is, God, I don't know how to talk to my neighbor about Jesus. I've never done that before. I've never, I've never helped talk to them about who God is and how he can help them. Just take the first step. Go over and say, hey, I'm so-and-so. I live next door. I've been here for 20 years. I'm sorry we haven't talked before. Build a relationship. Start something. Go today. Take the first step. We think it's one way, and God may take us on a journey that when we look back and we look at step 28 right now, when we're about to take step one, here's the reality, and this scares me to death. We may never get to step 28. Because as we start following along, we start going on this journey with God, we get to step 12 or 13, and he says, you know what? This is your focus now. And he changes the whole thing. I don't know about you, but I want to be willing to say yes, God, to whatever change he says. Yes, God. 28 is this huge thing out in the future. He's like, I don't ever want you to get to 28. I want you to get to 13 because I got you another journey. And we don't know that, but we got to start where we're at. Start where we're at. Why? Because God is with us. Use what you have. You don't have to have something great and grand and new. Use what you have because that's exactly what God will use. And then do what you can today. Take the first step. You know, as a church, we don't know what God wants for us when it comes to, to, to worship and how we see all this. I, I had a dream as I was in the transition time of coming to be your pastor where the, the number 500 was in my dream and I don't know what it meant. There wasn't any clarity to it, but I've shared that with some of the board and some of the leaders and, and some of you and I'm sharing it today as well. I don't know if God wants us to be a church that we see 500 people worship here on a weekend. I don't know if that's what 500 meant or 500 500 kids during Backyard Bible Club or, or 500 new people coming through the closet or, or I don't know what that 500 means, but if God wants us to be something that has to do with that 500, guess what? We don't know what that is, but we've got to start the journey to find out. We've got to take the first step to know. We don't, we don't really know what God wants us to build here on campus yet. We don't know what building we, we need or, or what building we don't need to tear down. We don't know what, what even the first step may be. But guess what? As a church, we got to start the journey to find out. Maybe you don't know who it is that God wants you to reach out and talk to Jesus about. But you've got to start the journey to find out. So I don't know about you. I want to ask this last question. Do you want to be unbelieving and perverse? I'd say the answer is no. Then we need to pray and fast. We need to seek God first. And today he's telling us, you know what, guys? Go. Get started. Start where you are. Use what you have and do what you can today. I want to close with these thoughts as we start our journey together. Now, I've given you basically, I've done this on purpose. I've given you a week now to really finalize how things are going to start next Sunday for you. So here's some closing thoughts as we start our journey. What will God have done for you when these 21 days are over? We all don't know the answer to that. We don't know what will be said about this when we get back. We don't know what February 26th is going to hold for us as we come in here to give God praise and thanks. But we have one shot at 2020. We have one shot 
at this thing called life? Are we willing to trust him? Because he's with us. How will God use you as you take the next step with him? I want to ask for some volunteers, one in each section again this morning. I have one more tool for you today. Uh, if you just jump up, a couple, one volunteer from each section. I got another handout for you, um, the big pack right there. Last week, we gave you a 21-day prayer guide, and it gave you a bunch of prayers that can help you during this time. If you don't have one and you'd like one, we still have some extra ones. Uh, not that, Emma, not that. Here, Pastor Greg's got some things. Hand out that out to anybody who wants it. This is a 21-day prayer focus. This is each day broken down into one community prayer focus for us to to be praying together as a church about. And so this will help us as a church as we come together during this time. Uh, We're going to have these available. So if you don't get one today, they're going to be here at the church throughout this time together. We've also given you some other tools that if if you need it, you can use it. The prayer guides are out on a table as you leave. If you didn't get a prayer guide and you want a prayer guide, take one as you leave. When I, when I came in here earlier, there was about two more journals that are out there. If you didn't get a prayer journal, it's just a blank journal. It's got our church logo on it, just a nice tool if you want to use that. Um, we don't have enough for everybody, but if you want one and they're still there, first come, first serve and do that. But there is a pin out there, nice new pin that says our name, church name on it. So you can use that pen during these 21 days to remind you to be praying together as a church, as a body of believers to say, you know what, we're in this together. And more importantly than that, God is with us. He's with us. He wants us to use what we have. So on these 21 days, as those are coming around to you, you'll see I've broken it up into three sections. So over these next 21 days, we're going to be focused together to pray and fast to believe what God wants to do in the lives of us as individuals and as a church here at PCN. I believe in this this process that unity is vitally important. Unity is vitally important. If we're not praying together, it's going to be easy for us to get divided. And I believe as we come together in prayer and fasting that God will unite us and he will show us some things that we can't even imagine right now. So I'm not going to go over each one of these with you today. You can take this with you, put it in your Bible, put it in your prayer guide, your journal. Use this. We're going to change this church sign out front every single day, and it's going to show just that day's prayer focus. So day one on February 2nd, next Sunday, when you come to church, the sign is going to read prayer focus for today, 21-day prayer focus. Today's daily focus, the first one, objective. And that's our objective from two weeks ago. It started with this. We can't do anything unless we depend on God. There's no reason to start if we're not going to depend on God. Amen? So we got to depend on God, number one. And so that's where we're going to start next Sunday is going to be our focus, is our dependence on God and what we're trusting Him for. And so I want to ask you this morning, in a time of response, will you commit to pray? Will you commit to seek to connect with God more and more during this time? Secondly, will you commit to fast? Seek to disconnect from the things of this world that would take away our connection with God. This is not something to be legalistic about. This is not something to hold over somebody's head and say, blah, 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 you're not doing this and this and this. No, 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 no. This is between you and God. But we're doing this all together, Okay. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about um, God is, God is, I thought God would give me maybe one thing to do. No, 
And I'm like, I'm like Marilyn and I've had this conversation. It's going to be hard. But it's going to help me to connect with him and disconnect from the things of this world. So one of the things that God showed me a couple months ago that I'm going to do, I, I physically, physically in my flesh and my human body because of things that I have going on, I can't give up all food for 21 days. I can't do it physically. I, it would not be a good thing. So what I am committing to do is I am going to fast my lunch every single day. I'm not going to eat lunch every single day for this 21 days. And during that time, I'm going to be here in the church, in the sanctuary, praying and seeking God's face. And so I want to invite you if, you, if you have that same desire and God's placed that on your heart. I've had some people tell me, Pastor, I can come on my lunch break and pray during this time. Is the church going to be open? The church is open, okay? Uh, I'll be in here. We'll have the daily prayer focus in here. We'll have some prayer guides for you. But if you want to come in the sanctuary or walk the campus or do something like that during your lunch break, feel free. Come in here and we can pray together over lunchtime. I want to encourage you to have this prayer, daily prayer guide somewhere close to you every single day so you know what the prayer focus is. And I want to ask you, if you would, if you're serious about this, would you commit to pray for that focus with your family every single day? Pray with your family every single day for what that daily focus is. And then I want to encourage you, the way we connect with God is through Bible reading, I have found in this already, I've already started uh, doing this and I've asked our board to be doing this as well. Uh, this is the journals that some of you have picked up. Uh, I'm writing in this. Uh, I'm trying to write at least a sent sentence a day because I'm not a big journaler and, and God's using it. I, that takes that one sentence and he just keeps me going and, and it's amazing what he speaks to me through my time of journaling. And so I want to encourage you, get in God's word. If you don't have a, a reading plan and you don't even know where to start, call me up. Let me know. I want to help you. You know, there's so many tools out there that we can use to make sure that we're connecting with God and disconnecting from the world. If we want to hear his voice, we got to connect with him. Amen? And he's here telling us today, I am with you. I am with you. Just get started. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? Father God, you are so good to us, and we thank you for loving us. We thank you for all of your many blessings, your grace and mercy that's new today. And God, I thank you for your word that you've given to us today that reminds us that you are with us, that we start right here where we're at. It doesn't matter our past. It doesn't matter what we've been through. It doesn't matter what things are still hanging us up. We start right now. And we believe that you're with us every step of the way. God, help us to use what we have. Help us to, to dust off the Bible if we need to. Help us to, to grab a, a notebook or a journal and begin to, to jot down what you're speaking to us. And God, I pray that you'd help us to pray together as a church body. That we'd pray united for these things as a church. That you would show us where you want us to go and how you want us to get there. And God, I pray for each person here today, before they leave today... In one week, Lord, we start this together, agreeing together that 2020 will be the greatest spiritual year we've ever had because we're giving it to you and we're seeking you first. Help each and every one of us as we leave this place today to have clarity over what you want us to do and how you want us to do it. And we will give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for everything that you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, 
Amen. Amen. Have a great day. We'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock at the Methodist Church.